0: Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. We know we need to pray, but we don't know the direction we should pray in, what we should ask for, how to ask, what to expect. Sometimes we just ask from, our, from the burdens that we feel and the sense of need. But it may not be in the correct and, and right way. And we're not lost. We're not left without a solution for this. God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can learn to pray in the Spirit And so today I want to talk to you about praying in the Spirit. It's not only a spiritual practice, it's not only a spiritual discipline, it's actually incredible. The fact that you and I can pray in the Spirit and pray in a way that will strengthen our relationship with God. This idea is so powerful and it is one of the Foundation ideas of the new covenant, that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon those who put their trust in Yeshua and who become his disciples. The Spirit of God, like Messiah himself, is called Menachem. Say that with me, Menachem, which means the comforter. And God's Spirit will comfort you. Not only will he empower you, he'll comfort you. It's a comfort when he shows his loving kindness to you. It's a comfort when he reveals his magnificence to you. And when he shows his gentle care and his life-giving nature and when he's protective of you. Sometimes when you're rescued from something, you feel this sense of comfort. It's like uh, something that touches the depths of our heart and our soul. It's so transforming. Praying in the spirit is also a spiritual weapon. It's a way of accomplishing a victory in a battle so that we're not defeated. But it's it's unique because when we pray in the Spirit we connect with God and He elevates our ability to pray effectively. Especially when you don't know how to pray. Or you don't know what to pray. So this idea that the Spirit of God is actually in you. Not just you know, there's a vague impression about God. We're not using uh, an idiom or a euphemism. We are declaring something that the Spirit of God can live inside of you. Now, look at the person who's sitting nearest to you and just say to them, the Spirit of God can live in you. The Spirit of God can live in you. It's an amazing idea, God living inside of you so near to you that he's inside not outside where you actually become a dwelling place for the Lord you become a little sanctuary for the Lord 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 puts it this way don't you know that you yourself are God's temple it actually uses the plural you yourselves our God's temple, and the God's spirit dwells in you. Because the spirit of God lives inside of us individually, but it's not limited to that. Together we become living stones who are built up together to become a temple for God, a sanctuary for God. Now last week I spoke on Kadima prayer. Prayer that moves us forward and moves our situations forward. I talked about the common need that we have that we'll learn about as we read Deuteronomy. We need courage, we need faith, we need hope, and we need desire. And I also talked about four useless ways to pray. Well, during this week I had some challenges. Did anybody else have challenges during the week? (laughs) Yeah, I had had some challenges. And so I decided I would build myself up by listening to the podcast from last weekend's services. So I listened to the Friday night message, and I listened to the Saturday message, and both of them really encouraged me. And one of the things I was encouraged by was was this. The, The teacher last week said, don't pray using prayerless prayer. You know what that is? That's where you think about praying, but you don't actually do it. And I thought, that's a good idea. And I can tell you that for almost a solid day I thought about praying. (laughs) And so I had to listen to my own podcast several times to to break out of it. Did any of you have that battle this week where you knew you needed to pray but you were thinking about praying longer than actually praying? I had to fight to, to pray. And I think it was healthy. I think it was good. Not just good for me. It's good for all of us to move out of the prayerless prayer where we're thinking about it into the active prayer where we're actually praying to the Lord. We're talking to the Lord. And I found as I talked to the Lord it actually helped me. So I encourage you, if you're needing to be built up in your prayers, listen to the podcast from last week and then listen again this week and put them into practice. This weekend is really a good time to explore the subject of praying in the Spirit. This Shabbat is called Shabbat Nachamu. Say that with me. Shabbat Nachamu. Nachamu is from the, the first line in the Haftorah portion from Isaiah 40 where it says Nachamu Nachamu. It repeats it. And it's an imperative. It's a commanding word that, that means this you comfort. You comfort my people. And so it's written to those who are reading it that you and I, the readers, are to take to heart the needs of others to comfort them and that we must speak words of comfort. This week's Torah portion is so wonderful and powerful. It includes the Shema and the Vahafta, which together, Yeshua said are the greatest commandment. I want to focus on the Haftor for a minute because it speaks prophetically about the new covenant life of faith. You can turn to Isaiah chapter 40. By the way, how many of you have Bibles with you? Real paper Bibles? How many of you are digerati? You've got uh... and how many of you are members of the illiterati sect? You don't read. The Haftorah speaks prophetically about the new covenant life of faith and the kind of boldness that you and I are given when we come to know Yeshua as our Messiah. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40 and read starting in verse 9. It says this, you who bring good news, besorah, which in, in other vocabulary is the gospel. You who bring the gospel, you who bring the proclamation of good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, and do not be afraid. Now, you've got someone sitting next to you who likes you enough that they are sitting next to you, so tell them this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. For those of us who know that the new covenant promised to Israel has already come, it's not just promised, it has come. It's it's fitting that we take to heart this idea that we're not only called to love God, but we're called to boldly tell our own people, to tell the Jewish people about the faithful love and mercy of God. To do this, we have to put off fear every Jewish person who comes to be a disciple of Yeshua's is glad that someone put off their fear. Someone did not allow themselves to be limited by their own fear of rejection or how this Jewish person is going to respond and they took to heart somehow the the spirit of Isaiah 40 and they said I'm going to tell Jewish people the good news about Messiah. I'm not going to be afraid. We can put off fear and we can call we have a call to boldly tell our own people about the faithful love and the mercy of God. And it's important that we're not intimidated about sharing the good news with our people. When we share the good news we can say with confidence that the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel, the master of the universe comes with power. But we can only say this with confidence We can only say it with confidence if we ourselves have experienced the power of the Lord. So your experience of God's loving and His merciful and His redemptive power is important. So with that in mind, I want to remind you that Yeshua promised His disciples. This will seem like a change because it's a little change of gears, but it connects to what we were just talking about. He promised His disciples that He would return to heaven because it was necessary for him to send the Holy Spirit to us. He rose from the dead. That was a big surprise, because no one around him believed Messiah needed to suffer. They thought he would just be victorious all the way through. He would drive Rome out. He would bring world peace. It would be great. That's still the, the misunderstanding, the limited understanding some people have about Messiah. But Messiah suffered, he died, he became the atoning sacrifice for us. He rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, everyone was relieved. It was a big surprise, but they thought, wow, now he's back. And then he's coming back, and he tells everyone, it's great to see you, i got to go now. I've got to leave you now. And they said, don't go. And he said, I have to. They said, well, don't leave us. And he said, I'm not leaving you like orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. So Yeshua said his messianic role was not just to be the atoning sacrifice, but he was to accomplish something that had been planned from the foundations of the earth, and that is that all could receive the Holy Spirit, not just a select few. So he said, it was necessary for him to return to heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit to all of us. And up to that point, the Holy Spirit had been poured out on just a few people, not many. It was extraordinary. It was exceptional. In fact, to this day, the teaching of rabbinic Judaism is that the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for a very limited few, for the prophets of old, for some tzaddikim, the righteous ones, But it's not for everyone. But I want to look with you at three prophets of Israel who not only had personal experience with the Holy Spirit, but they prophesied about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Moses, Ezekiel, and Joel. And how many of you agree that these are Jewish figures? Okay. Good. So let's go to Numbers chapter 11 verse 29. Moses experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but there was a moment when he felt that the work of the ministry was greater than he could bear by himself, and God said, well, find 70 other leaders and gather them, and I will pour out some of the Spirit that I've put on you on them. And so Moses was very happy, because now there's what, 71? Yeah. 71 with the Spirit. But through that process, Moses had something in his heart where he had a prophetic insight and a yearning for more. And this is what he said Numbers 11 verse 29. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. All. Say that with me. All. So if you're sitting next to a person, you're sitting next to one of the all. Part of the all. So you might smile at them and say this, Moses wanted you to receive the Holy Spirit. Moses wanted you to receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone who honors Moses should take this to heart. May the Lord pour out his Spirit on all the Lord's people. Ezekiel may have been the first prophet to introduce the phrase in the Spirit or by the Spirit in Hebrew Baruach. Say that with me. Baruach. In the Spirit. By the Spirit. Ezekiel 37 verse 1 has this phrase, Baruach Adonai. In the Spirit of the Lord. Or by the Spirit of the Lord. And Ezekiel is describing an incredible experience he had with the Spirit of God and a revelation he had where he saw the dry bones of Israel and the question was, can Israel come back to life? Ezekiel brought forth a pro- prophetic word from the Lord for the Jewish people about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's in verse 14 of this passage, Ezekiel 37 verse 14. The Lord speaks to Ezekiel and says this to all of Israel, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. So in a certain way, Ezekiel is speaking prophetically what Moses had spoken from his heart. Moses was yearning for the outpouring of the Spirit of God on all of Israel, and Ezekiel says, God will do it. So Ezekiel declares prophetically that God will pour His Spirit out, and he boldly says to the Jewish people, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will live. You will live again. So the Spirit of God Gives us new life if we understand Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. The Spirit of God is connected to resurrection life. And now you can see why Yeshua connected the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with his resurrection and the resurrection life that he wanted to give to the Jewish people. Don't forget this because it's a very important idea. The third prophet is Joel, and he speaks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He builds on what Moses yearned for and what Ezekiel prophesied about, but he speaks with concreteness. And he says God will pour the Holy Spirit out on all who seek him. Joel makes it clear God doesn't want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be extraordinary or exceptional. God wants all to experience the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and 29 in the English says this, It will come about after this, the Lord speaking through Joel, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, using the Hebrew word basar, flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So now you have Moses, you have Ezekiel, and you have Joel all speaking to this, so on Shavuot after Yeshua has returned to heaven and when he is promising to send the holy spirit first to his disciples they are these 120 Jewish disciples of Yeshua are in Jerusalem for Shavuot and the holy spirit's poured out on them and one of the hallmarks is that they begin to speak in other languages And so I want to speak about this to you so that you can understand what happened and and what's going on in, in the text. What's so interesting is the nature of these languages. When the disciples were speaking in these unknown tongues, there were people surrounding them from all different countries Jews from Greece, Jews from Italy, Jews from Egypt and Crete and elsewhere and each one heard their own language being spoken. So it turns out that the disciples were not speaking a specific language. They were speaking an unknown language, but the hearers heard it as their own language. It was fascinating, and it was baffling, too, about what was going on and and required explanation. Some people who didn't get the idea thought these were just drunken messianics of some sort. But Peter says, we can't be drunk, it's too early. <sighs> yeah, he didn't waste time saying, we would never do that. He said, even even <laughs> us fishermen at nine o'clock in the morning we're not getting drunk. And then he explains what's going on, and he immediately and very concisely and precisely points back to Joel. And he quotes Joel, who gives the prophetic word about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. All. Say that with me. All. All. And so they declare, Peter declares, God wants to do this. He wants to to save us through Yeshua And he wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on all of us. Not just those of us who have just now received the Holy Spirit, but all of us. That was a big surprise. Even though many people were waiting for and anticipating the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they could read the Torah and the Tanakh for themselves. They could see what I showed you. This was part of of Jewish expectation. But it was still a surprise. They didn't know how it was going to work out. So when the Holy Spirit comes on these Messianic Jews, and that's one of the reasons why I like to say we put the mess in Messianic. When the Holy Spirit comes on the Messianic Jews, they see the connection. They understand this is what not only Yeshua was telling them, but this is consistent according to what Moses and the prophets said about what Messiah would do. But they were surprised and they had to explain Now I want you to see this connection between Moses and the prophets and what we're going to talk about about praying in the spirit because I want you to understand that praying in the spirit is, is not something that just dropped out of the sky into modern history. Praying in the spirit is something that has been anticipated even if it wasn't fully understood what it was going to be but to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all kinds of people, not just the most holy, not just the Moses of the day, or the Ezekiel of the day, but the Shlamazels and the (laughs) Shlomiel's as well. The writers of the New Covenant Scriptures, Messianic Jewish Apostles, if you will, they built upon the earlier experience and prophetic understandings of the Holy Spirit. But they experienced something new because they were living in the new covenant and they had been with Yeshua and so they, they had to figure out how to talk about it, how to explain it. And they used some phrases and terms to communicate about the Holy Spirit and his importance in the life of faith for everyone who is following him. And with that in mind, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to look at a few new covenant scriptures which speak about praying in the Spirit. Paul writes to the Romans and says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray. How many of you can relate to that? But the Holy Spirit prays for us with deep cries, even groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit of God prays through us. And then I want you to turn to another passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is interesting because these were generally Gentile believers and they were very open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit but they made a mess of things, too. Because they were like chaotic and out of order, but at least they were moving in the right direction. And the question is what to say to them and how, how to deal with the, the chaos. And, and I want to remind you that all these instructions were being newly formed because these were new experiences. It was a new experience for Jewish people to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to speak in unknown tongues. That was a new experience. That was a surprise for for the Jewish people. It it wasn't outrageous, but it was a surprise. And it was unanticipated, but I want you to, to understand what it was not as well. This was not the beginning of the Pentecostal church. It wasn't the beginning of the charismatic renewal. This was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Moses, Ezekiel, and Joel had been talking about for the Jewish people. There was no Pentecostal movement. This is not Azusa Street 101. (laughs) There's no Azusa Street. There's no San Francisco. There's no California. There's no Los Angeles. There's nothing over there. I just want to help you. <laughs> I want to help you because when you're, you're reading this, it's very important that you approach it with with clarity and with freshness and without prejudices from modern teachings and so forth. I don't want you to be limited by historical Christian teachings or historical Jewish rabbinic teachings. I want you to be open to what the text actually says. So first surprise, Jewish people are receiving the Holy Spirit. But it's a good thing, and that's why Peter says so everybody repent, believe, receive forgiveness, be immersed in water, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit too, just like us. That was part of the offer. That was a big surprise. Second big surprise happened when the same Peter went to Gentiles who wanted to know could they be saved through Yeshua. And you know what the Jewish thinking was? It was, nah. (laughs) Because Jews are talking among themselves and saying do you think Gentiles could be saved? It's like, nah, they can't be saved. So what to do? Well, they could become Jews, then they can be saved. If they become Jews, then, then they can have faith and then they can, they can repent, they can have faith, they can live for God, they can uh, receive even the Holy Spirit. Okay, good. So Peter's talking to Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit interrupts him without any uh, consultation and pours out on the Gentiles who are listening to Peter the same gift of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in unknown languages too, unknown tongues too. And that's a big surprise to the Jewish guys because they didn't think it was possible. None of them came to that meeting thinking Gentiles could be saved, much less receive the Holy Spirit. It was out of their uh, expectations. One guy in Ukraine used to say, it was beyond civilization. (laughs) So now there's another surprise and that is Gentiles can receive the Holy Spirit. Who who knew? It's, it's so incredible. But now we have the third surprise, which is all sorts of people are praying in unknown languages and it's getting kind of messy. So now we need to give some instruction. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's background for it. And in verse 2 Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, he, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Now I want to just take that apart for a moment to help you understand what he is saying and what he's not saying. Technically the the Greek word could be translated, he who speaks in a language. And so if you understand it that way then the sentence doesn't make any sense at all. Because let's just substitute Uh, a a synonym, a, a certain kind of language, something precisely. He who speaks in English does not speak to men but to God. Does that make any sense at all? He who speaks in Spanish does not speak to men but to God. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about unknown tongues because this is not understood by men. Indeed no one understands him he utters mysteries in the spirit. So I want you to get the simple meaning of this passage. It will help you. It's also useful to say that this is not about ecstasy. This is not about people being touched in an emotional way by the Holy Spirit and then becoming like emotional hot pots. You know, where they're just bubbling emotion. It's not about throwing your arms up. It's not about falling down. It's not about you woo-hoo! It's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Though there may be emotion, this is not about emotion. It's, it's not about being emotional. It's not about entering into an altered state of consciousness, like on a spirit quest or something. You know, uh, you you don't get this condition with psilocybin and other hallucinogenics that are associated with. Uh, spirit quest. This is something else, and this is not babbling. So it's not just nonsense talk, you know, like gibberish. Because some people say, "Well, I can speak gibberish too." Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Whatever. This is not that, and it's not scat. For those of you who are jazz singers, <laughs> <laughs> bop, she bop. It's not even rock and roll. It's not nagoon, lie, la la, It's something else. And it's important to say this because we need to understand that Paul is approaching the subject as something that can be thought about, reasoned about, and processed intelligently. If he were saying, just cut loose, he wouldn't be giving a reasoned presentation or discussion. He'd say you're, thinking, you're overthinking this thing. No, he's, he thinks the problem is they're underthinking it. And they need to think some more. So he's not advocating that they should just let themselves go. But at the same time he expresses his hope that everyone will speak in tongues. Now go down to verse 14, 1 Corinthians fourteen, fourteen. if I pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? Next verse. I'll pray in the Spirit, praying with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I'll pray in tongues so that the Spirit is praying, but I'll pray in the Spirit with words I don't understand so that I can pray with my mind, with my understanding, with words I do understand. So he makes it really clear. What shall I do? I'll pray with my Spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. Also. Say that one word. Also. So spirit and mind. So praying in the spirit actually is a way of connecting the things of the spirit of God with our rational intelligence. This is not about losing your intellectual capability, it's about connecting your spiritual capability with your intellectual capability. Now I I was enrolled in a a class, a, a special class at State University of New York and I, I wrote a paper on my own initiative on speaking in tongues. The professors were just disturbed. <laughs> this was many years ago. And they thought I was either an idiot or, no, they thought I was an idiot. Because I was approaching it as a rational subject and as something worthy of investigation and they couldn't imagine that. It was amusing to me. Uh, You know how they ultimately handled it? Uh, They refused to grade it. Yeah, they just, I had several papers like that. They put them in a file and said, we need to talk about this guy. It was okay. I'll sing with my spirit, I'll also sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you speak a blessing in spirit, how can someone who is uninstructed say amen to your thanksgiving since he doesn't know what you're saying? I want you to get this. When you're praying in the spirit, it's talking about praying in unknown languages, praying in tongues, not in languages you understand, but praying in tongues. Now let's be practical about some things, and we'll wrap up with these Uh, In Acts chapter 2 verse 4 it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they spoke in tongues and the Spirit enabled them. Both details are important. It's not babbling, scat, nagoon. It's a spiritual language that God enables. And some people say if God wants me to speak in tongues He'll make me. But that's not exactly right. It says, they spoke as the Spirit enabled them. But they had to actually use their mouths. They had to use their tongues. It's not becoming overpowered. That's why it's not correct to say that this is an ecstatic experience where you're just overcome by emotion and you start speaking things gibberish in an emotional way. It's something else that we cooperate with. Now another practical aspect, very simple when you don't know how to pray, pray in the Spirit. And if you pray in the Spirit, there will be a time when God will give you understanding. Now here's the rub. Sometimes it will take longer than you're comfortable. So do not think this. Well, I, I prayed for you know 60 solid seconds, and I didn't understand how to pray after that, so I just stopped because this stuff doesn't work. That's not right. You pray in tongues longer and longer so that your capacity increases. When I first got filled with the Holy Spirit, I decided I would build up my capacity. And I thought, well, when can I do this? And I decided I'd do it when I was driving to work by myself. So I would be in my car by myself, and I had limited capacity in many ways. And so the best I could do was with a limited spiritual vocabulary I had, I tried to sing to the tune of Mary Had a Little Lamb. And that's what I did. And I would sing in tongues to the tune, Mary Had a Little Lamb. And I just thought, this is so fascinating. And then every so often I'd be at a stoplight, someone would be looking at me and I'd get, you know, like, shy. But here's what I, what I learned. You, you have to keep going. Don't stop. You build capacity by practice. And it's something that you practice by going longer and longer in more and more different kinds of situations. So you may have to pray longer than you're comfortable sometimes. And you might say, well, I, I, I prayed, Rabbi, for five minutes in tongues and I never got understanding. And I'd say, well, get in the car and drive for 30 minutes or go wherever you need to or get in your your spiritual prayer closet, whatever that may be, and pray in tongues until you get understanding. I remember once we were going to another city, a group of us, and they were having problems in their congregation and so we decided we would pray in the Spirit while we were driving and the place was about an hour and a half away we made this decision about 30 minutes into the trip so for an hour three of us were praying in the Spirit and there were a few moments where it's like tiring and I remember looking at one person and thinking you ready to stop and they were looking at me but the third one wasn't and so we just kept going and we went all the way and we prayed in the spirit you know, for that solid hour, and God gave us understanding so that we knew what to do when we were there and we were prepared. God will give you understanding. And I'm not saying this just based on my experience. I'm trying to bring out to you what the scripture is saying, what the teaching is. You see, the, the apostles, these Messianic Jewish apostles had to explain to Jewish people and to non-Jewish people how do you learn to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had to even discover vocabulary, and that's why I think they, they referred back to Ezekiel's vocabulary who said, Barua, in the Spirit. And, and I think they thought, oh, that's a good term, in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, Baruch. pray in the Spirit. That's what we're talking about. Praying in the Spirit, praying by the Spirit. They were not thinking of English terminology. They were not thinking of later Christian experience. They were experiencing Messianic Jewish life in its most direct and earliest forms. So sometimes you may have to pray longer than you're comfortable, but continue in the spirit. Don't, Don't give up until you understand how to pray and then pray with your understanding. Don't be frustrated in it. Praying in the Spirit is spiritual warfare. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is describing different aspects of spiritual warfare, and he wraps it up by saying Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So I I want to invite you, if, if you want to know more about this, come to the Foundations class on Wednesday. And we're going to look at the whole idea of Tavila Baruch HaKodesh, what the scripture teaches about being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And that will prepare people who would like and feel they're ready uh, for a time when we will lay hands on everyone who wants to receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now this is for people who have put their trust in Yeshua the Messiah. This is not apart from that. Now one note, practical note, we don't often use our prayer languages in our Shabbat services though we do use them in our prayer meetings and our prayer times before services. And I'll tell you a reason. It's really simple. We have too many visitors who come from too many backgrounds who don't pay attention to the way we do things and they want to do things the way they do things. And when we have people who come from undisciplined, charismatic, and Pentecostal, spirit-filled backgrounds, who aren't accustomed to our ways and they want to do their thing, if we start out with a little bit of our freedom, they move into whatever it is they wanted to do in the first place. And then we end up having to clean up the mess. And it's just, it's, it's tedious. So, <laughs> that's the only reason. If, if visitors behave differently, it would be different. But we can't expect people who are new to to grasp this but i would say to people learn the ways of the house and learn to respect the ways of the house and things will go well with you okay so that's it we're going to close now <laughs> you can stand and we're going to close with the ironic benediction